Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is Controlling My Destiny, Insights from a $300 million UBS Breakaway, a conversation with Lori Siegel, founding partner of Centrix Wealth Partners. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. We record this episode after wrapping up two months of the national lockdown at a time when many of us have grown accustomed to a work life that's primarily conducted via phone, Zoom meetings, and FaceTime. The good news is that technology has proven to be our friend, guiding us down avenues where we ultimately found efficiency and flexibility and paving a way for new work habits we have only begun to appreciate. During these last several weeks, we've taken the time to talk with advisors and industry thought leaders to get their view on life during the crisis and how they expect it will reshape the wealth management world going forward. And while many shared common concerns, no two conversations have been the same. There are unique experiences and points of view, providing teachable moments for all of us who listened in. Take our guest on this episode, Lori Siegel certified financial planner and founding partner of Centrix Wealth Partners based in Houston, had just celebrated her first anniversary as an independent business owner when the crisis hit. After a decade with UBS, she and her partner, Robert Russo, recognized that it was time to make a change and that another employee model wouldn't allow them to achieve all that they were hoping to for their clients and business. So they opted to go independent with Raymond James Financial Services, the independent broker-dealer model, and have found that the flexibility of independence, along with the support of Raymond James, has served them incredibly well through the crisis. I'd love to have Lori unpack her decision-making process and talk about the transition and also what it was like after just a year to find herself managing through an unprecedented crisis. And so let's get to it. Lori, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Mindy, it's really my pleasure. I have to tell you that over the last two years, I've listened to so many of your podcasts before we were sure that we were going to move. And then during the year that we took and worked with your partners on making a move, every single one of your podcasts I listened to to glean knowledge. So I am just really excited to be able to hopefully help someone else. Oh, you're very sweet. You made my day. So thank you for sharing that with me. That's the whole reason we do these is to provide knowledge for those looking for it. So thank you for that. So I'd love to start at the top, Lori, and give people some perspective on your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got from the beginning of your career to where you are today. Absolutely. So I'm a certified financial planner and the founding partner of Centrix Wealth Partners, but 
I started quite some time ago, back in June of 1996, as a 38-year-old on my own at Smith Barney, no family money, and just really had wanted to make a change from being in medical sales and thought that I could work longer and make a more significant difference for people if I helped them with their money. So that was really the path that I started on. And then my partner started with me as my intern when he was in college a little over 15 years ago. And we've been together ever since. So it was Smith Barney to UBS. Is that right? That's right. 13 years at Smith Barney and then 10 years at UBS before starting. Yeah. It's so interesting. You know, I was just reading the Forbes top women advisors list and reading about a lot of the women winners and they all have amazing stories, but there's so much common ground. So many of them came from careers other than financial services. Like you're saying medical sales. I was reading that one of them was a private investigator, another one, a nurse, another one, a teacher, another one, a competitive swimmer. So really interesting. What was it about financial services that drew you to it? Well, my sister-in-law was in the business and at Smith Barney at the time, even though I didn't go into business with her. And I just looked at it and I thought, I can do this and I can make a difference in people's lives. I really had kind of wanted to be a doctor, but wasn't willing to go back to school at that point in my life and start over and have the quality of life that you could have as a doctor. And so seeing what she did, it really spoke to me. So I took a certified financial planning class at Rice University, felt like I could do it, and boldly went in and sold myself to Smith Barney. And here you are. That's great. What a great story. You guys left. You left UBS with your partner, Robert Russo, in February of 2019. So tell us what the business looked like at that time. How much were you managing? Who was on the team, et cetera? Sure. So honestly, a lot of it looks pretty much the same. So we were managing just shy of $300 million when we left UBS in February 2019. And at the peak of the market this year, it was pretty much the same asset base. Yes, we left some people behind, but we also grew since we left. And our team was exactly the same. We had three support staff at the time. Our senior assistant had been with us really for about nine years. And the other two assistants that came with us were very new. In actuality, one assistant who had come from Bank of America had been with us about a year. And then we hired a young man, about 30, who was new to the industry. And he started with us the May before we left. So they all came with us. And One of the things that a lot of our clients said was the fact that we had kept the whole team together really meant a lot to them in our move. Interesting. And actually, that's what I was going to ask you. So you've really got a one-year perspective. And we, for for perspective, we are recording this smack in the middle of what I think is week eight. You sort of lose track of our national stay-at-home order. (laughs) Right. Although I think Texas is further along where you are than we are in New Jersey. Um, but nonetheless, a strange time and certainly a monkey wrench in building a business. But from your perspective, is being at 300 million today, do you consider that a win from where having left at 300 million? Because it sounds like it certainly was. It sounds like everybody followed you. The team was intact. They followed. 
And at the height of the market, you found yourself in exactly the same place you were when you left. And I think for most, that would be a win. Absolutely. We thought it was a win. We feel it every single day. We kept almost all of the relationships that we wanted to keep. And, you know, that's that's the base of, of everything we do, right? Or the relationships mm-hmm. that we have. And then having our whole team come with us, it was so gratifying. Everything has been as much or more than we imagined in making this change. So we never looked back. It's only been positive things in the transition. So we we count ourselves lucky and, and we also feel like we have always been very proactive in how we took care of our clients and that that really showed up in who followed us. Paid off. Yeah. That's actually a really big statement, Lori, to say we haven't looked back. We were thrilled. There hasn't been a day in since last February that we regretted what we did. That's a particularly big statement, especially during this global crisis that has made the market incredibly volatile and everybody's taken a hit, et cetera. So I want to come back to that in terms of what were the drivers and what's it been like. But just to stick with that statement for a minute, what do you think is the single biggest thing that makes you so glad you are where you are today as opposed to back at UBS? Feeling like we control our own destiny. We get to choose how we take care of our clients, how we spend our money, how we spend our day, when we go back into the offices, what we think is safe for our team and for us and our clients. We are so much more in control. I love it. And that's what we hear from most, actually. Um, Just again, for perspective, what kind of clients do you serve? How many relationships? What does the average client look like? So... Laughingly, we like to say that we want to work with nice people that want help. But then isn't that what everybody wants? But I would say that we specialize in helping people in periods of personal transition, particularly executives in career transition, which there will unfortunately be so many more of those. But that's really what I built our practice on. And then widows and business owners that are looking to transition their business within the next five years. So so those are the three niches that we really concentrate on. Got it. Now, you chose to leave UBS to join Raymond James and Raymond James Financial Services, which is the independent broker-dealer arm of Raymond James. I'd like to unpack that a little bit. So first of all, what were some of the drivers, the pushes, if you will, to leave UBS and the pulls toward independence? Let me say, first of all, that we were very happy at UBS for the first seven years we were there and really thought we would stay there forever. But things in the industry changed dramatically for us, and we felt like things were changing at UBS. There were a a number of different issues. Really, the last straw for us was when they wanted to start charging account fees, not management fees, but account fees on households that had between one and $2 million with us. And that was irregardless of how much they were paying us in management fees. Our book is pretty much all discretionary, all fee-based. So our clients pay us well to take care of them. 
And we felt that that was just such a short-sighted viewpoint at UBS. And, and again, that lack of control over how our clients were treated it sounds like such a minor thing, but for us, it wasn't. It's not minor at all. And I think you hit it on the head. For most teams we've worked with, it, and again, it was an honor and privilege for us to have the opportunity to help you and Robert make this move. But for most teams that we work with, there's almost always a straw that breaks the camel's back. There's sort of, you know, things that may frustrate them to one degree or another over time, almost always the straw that breaks the camel's back. And almost always, if you sort of bring it down to, so what is the frustration? The specifics may be different, but it is almost always about either the loss or lack of control. So why Raymond James? I mean, there's many, many independent broker dealers, and then you've got the RIA space. So lots of flavors of independence in this mainstream option of independence these days. Why Raymond James? Yeah, so we didn't want to be in a situation where we had to rebuild or build everything from scratch. So we knew that we wanted to be in a situation where we had a lot of aspects of the business packaged for us, if you will. We also knew that reputation of the firm and just the the vibe of the firm, if you will, was really important to us. We don't work with ultra, ultra high net worth people, but we do work with high net worth people. And we wanted whoever we were affiliated with to be a name that they would be comfortable and proud of. So it was really twofold in how we looked at that. And with Raymond James, we really felt like we got the most of what we wanted in support with the best cost structure for us. Mm -hmm. We really love the culture of the firm. It sounds silly, but they really are different than Wall Street firms. However, it was a name and a structure that our clients could easily wrap their arms around after the transition. And we felt that it would be easy for them to understand that aspect and that affiliation with Raymond James. Yeah. And it sounds like the proof was in the pudding because you're saying all your clients followed. So it sounds like that was a good bet. Yeah. And it's so funny because you're right that, you know, the word culture is sort of one of those fluffy words that most anyone can use to say, oh, my firm has a great culture. But There's something about the culture at Raymond James that everybody says is the main reason they join. And all anyone has to do is go on a home office visit to their office in St. Pete. And I've had the privilege of doing it as well and walking around. And first of all, it's a beautiful space and you see happy people who want to be there. And it really is a firm that is all about seeing the advisor as client. And the notion of control, it's a belief whether you're an employee of Raymond James or you're an independent contractor as you are with Raymond James, the belief is that you own those clients regardless of the affiliation model. Yeah, that was also very key for for us is the ownership of the clients after everything that we had been through. Yeah. One of the other things that a lot of people like about Raymond James is that they have a robust in-house marketing team. How much did their marketing capabilities influence your decision to join them? I would honestly say it wasn't a main factor. They've been incredibly helpful. We've worked very closely with them. 
and it was a benefit. But if I was making a choice and they didn't have that, I could still feel like Raymond James could have been the home for us because the other things are more difficult in my mind to duplicate. And even working with the marketing team, we work with outside marketing people as well. Yeah. And in your exploration, did you consider the RIA hybrid space at all? So we we sort of didn't want to jump right there. We're pretty conservative, my partner especially. And again, we wanted a transition that we felt was easy for us and for our clients to make. And so we felt like that that might be a leap too far for, for us at this point. Yeah, understood. So aside from Raymond James, what else did you look at? And what I'm asking in that question is not just, so you decided you wanted this packaged or supported independent model, but did you only look at other independent broker-dealers? Did you ever consider Morgan Stanley or Merrill Lynch or a regional firm or something of the sort? Never, ever considered any other major wirehouse for me. That was just like going from the pan to the fire. Why would we do that? At the end of the day, we really didn't want to be an employee. We really wanted to be a business owner. We looked at the other branches of Raymond James, if you will. So we looked at becoming an employee of Raymond James. And I love the local management Mm -hmm. at the employee channel of Raymond James. But for us, we just didn't want to be employees anymore. I would also say that we looked at Dynasty. I think they have a lot to offer. But in the end, for us, for what our business looked like, Raymond James was just a better fit for the business we do and the clients we have. But I think either is an excellent choice. Right. Well, that's actually an interesting observation. Dynasty, and for those unfamiliar, which is essentially a service provider or platform firm that enables advisors to break away from the wirehouse world like Lori and Robert did from UBS and form their own RIA. But for a lot of people, the hybrid RIA space is a bridge too far. They want a version of more supported independence. And while they want more freedom and control than they have as an employee at, say, UBS, they don't want to be responsible in the end for compliance and have to build something from scratch. They want something more packaged and, uh, and turnkey. So that makes perfectly good sense. You mentioned that the transition experience was good. Can you just give us a little color of, uh, in terms of what that looked like? Boots on the ground, who from Raymond James was there? How did that work? Yeah, absolutely. So they have a whole transition team. And we spent a lot of time discussing on the front end how many people we wanted from their team and how many weeks we wanted them to be there. So they were with us for five or six weeks, one, two, or three people from the home office that really knew all the paperwork. And then we had our whole team. The process was tight. We really worked hard to get it all done. Yeah. And it sounds like it was seamless. Yes. Oh, it was totally seamless. That's what I want to say that not only was their staff 
excellent and so helpful. But our staff was excellent and worked so hard. Process is so important to this. And what I would say to anybody considering this is make sure that you're thinking about your process in advance, how you're going to bring all those households over. We only have like 110 households. So we have a pretty tight book, a lot easier. Somebody that's got three or four or 500 households, a lot more time and energy is going to go into this. But it was exhausting, but went, I think, very well. You make a good point. There's no sugarcoating the hard work and energy that it takes to make a move of any kind, but even more so the leap to independence. Because one, I think there's more emotional stress because it's a bigger leap. And because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. You're building your own business, even when you have the support to do it. And there's a whole nother level of right. due diligence exactly. and well worth of it. work yeah. that goes in. And I think most would say that as well. I want to just ask, you mentioned looking at Dynasty and you mentioned looking also at the, so the traditional employee-based option of Raymond James, the Raymond James and Associates or the regional firm option. Using that option, the regional firm employee-based option versus being independent with Raymond James Financial Services, there is more transition money available in being an employee. So how did transition economics, the recruiting package offered, how did that play into your decision of do we go independent or do we remain as employees and with whom? We were really not concerned about the upfront money for us. First of all, if you're concerned about the upfront money, Raymond James is not going to be the highest paying on the street. So you're probably going to cut them out right from the start. (laughs) But we knew that over the course of a long period of time, we felt like economically it would be in our best interest to be independent. However, again, the driver was that control piece. Now, what I will say is one of the things that really helped going with Raymond James versus Dynasty was the fact that as long as we did everything correctly, if UBS had put a TRO on us, we would have had financial backing where we would not get that from Dynasty. Right. That was a big fear. Mm-hmm. Even knowing yeah. you were doing everything right, you can't control. And I, I am presuming TRO, for those not familiar, temporary restraining order, was there one? Was there any legal action from UBS? None, none whatsoever. We did everything by the book and there was no legal action. Mm -hmm. Great. Glad to hear it. So I want to pivot for a minute to this moment in time. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're recording this in the midst of the greatest financial crisis. So let's focus on that for a bit. How have your days changed in terms of how you're managing your time and the work that you're doing on a day-to-day basis now versus, say, two or three months ago? Yeah. Well, like everybody else, right, sort of rolled out of bed and went to our dining room or our family room to go to work. Now, in fact, we are going back to work in our offices starting next week. We are not going to have in-person client meetings But because we have four of us in one very large office with plenty of space between us, 
we do feel like we can go into the office earlier than if we were in an office of 50 people. So I think that that has, uh, that's another benefit that we could make the decision and, and have that flexibility. But certainly up until this point, like everybody else, you know, you're setting up laptops in dining rooms or family rooms. And we were having morning team meetings over the phone to check in and make sure everything is working together. Luckily, we had laptops. So working from home really wasn't horrible. And our technology has really worked flawlessly. So it's more, I think, the whole issue of all of us doing the social isolation than individually what it's like working from home as much. It's it's the change to the whole world and the fact we're all looking at new ways to use technology, right? There's more Zoom meetings. We're doing Zoom meetings with clients. We're looking at doing webinars. We're all looking at how do we meet prospective new clients differently. We're not going to a networking meeting. So it, it's investigating new ways that we can all utilize technology to stay in touch with our current clients and meet new people. Yeah. And especially in the month of March, when the market was at its most volatile, how often were you communicating with your clients and in what ways? I mean, one of the things I think that's been so heartening for me is in having these conversations with advisors, in talking with them about the creative ways they've figured out to communicate with clients. I've had one that says he sets up video walks with his clients on a daily basis. Like he walks every day at six or 7 a.m. And literally he walks with a different client every day. And obviously Zoom meetings and webinars and newsletters and emails and one set up, you know, Craig's Corner. He's sending out a daily message or whatever. So how often was the cadence of your communication with clients at its most crazy when things were the craziest or the most uncertain? And in what ways were you communicating with them? So, of course, we're like everybody else on the phone constantly. I would say that we had meetings with almost all of our clients in December and January. And during that time period, of course, we did not know about this pandemic, but we were cautiously optimistic and talking about cash flow needs and maybe taking some money off the table early so that when this started, I think our clients felt a little less panicked and that was very helpful. And we just started calling immediately, making proactive, how are you calls, as well as Remember, we went through your financial plan. Well, even now, your financial plan still looks good. So we always try to come back to the plan. And most clients, if their plan was in good shape before, their plan is still in good shape. And even during the month of March was in good shape. So I think that that ongoing communication of assuring them and taking them back to the plan and how we always knew we were going to have cash for them if the market was dislocated just brought a sense of calm to most people. Mm. We also did a fun thing where we sent treats to all of our clients, and we had three different buckets, those who were in town, those who were in the state of Texas, and then those who were out of town. And for each set, we had to deliver treats in a different way. But one of the treats that we had here in Houston included some sugar cookies 
with smiley faces with masks on the front of them. Uh, love it. Yeah. And everybody really enjoyed that. And uh, although we social distanced while we did it, our assistants hand delivered those in town. And I think people really enjoyed just getting a chance to talk to them from six feet away mm-hmm. and getting a little sweet treat. Nice. You mentioned a webinar. So I'm wondering, have you done one yet? And is that an idea that's come from either Raymond James marketing firm? Where are sort of the creative engines, the marketing things you're doing coming from? No, we're in the process of putting it together. Clearly in the past, when we were at a warehouse, it was much more difficult to be creative. Since coming to work at Centrix and with Raymond James, we have, I've published a book for widows mm. to help them strong on your own, which Raymond James was so supportive of. And then now uh, we're creating webinars. I do a lot of workshops, but realizing that over some period of time that none of us know what that period is, that we're going to be unable to always be in front of people. I wanted to take some of those workshops that I do and do them more as webinars. So just getting that underway and and hope to have my first one in June. That's exciting. And congratulations on the book. That's really exciting. has Raymond James supported you in your business? I'm asking in general, but probably more specifically at a time like this in the midst of crisis. Oh gosh, they're just awesome. And they're always make sure that you have everything you need. There's a good amount of communication, but not over communication. We all laugh that it's such a joy not to receive 5,000 emails every day from the home office like we used to when we were employees. So we love the lack of that. But they're just there and they have had amazing webinars for us and for our clients all around what's going on, the health aspect, the political aspect, and the market aspect around COVID-19. Our clients have just loved those. They've had them weekly and now they're bi-weekly. So that's been very, very helpful. And everybody's just available. Any questions that we have, they're, they're there for us. So I can't speak highly enough about it. Wonderful. And is there anything that you miss about being at UBS? I mean, you know, one might argue that the support and scaffolding of a major firm could be somewhat comforting at a time like this. So is there anything you miss, you know, from where do you get your thought leadership, your research? If there's a technology issue, where does the scaffolding come from now? So we still have the thought leadership and the research because we still, we have Raymond James research now, which is excellent. Even when we were at UBS before, we looked to outside companies for research and we do that today. If we have a technology issue, there's a department. I guess what I would say is there isn't a branch manager now to funnel your questions through where they act as sort of the cop that tells you which way to go to get your problem solved. You maybe have to hunt and peck a little bit more. Although we have something at Raymond James for good-sized teams that's called concierge service. So if you have a question, you actually can just call that number tell them what your question is, and they'll navigate you to the right person and they'll get you to the right person pretty quickly. 
So it's a wonderful service. Honestly, the only thing that I can say that is missing that you have to create for yourself is if you talked to people, if you were in an office of 40 or 50 or 100 advisors and you were social before, now you know you have your small team, whether it's the five people that we have or it's 10 people. So what I would say is that I probably go to more offsite lunches that partners provide mm. because then I'm seeing and interacting with more advisors and generally other independent advisors that are also business owners. So you have both the financial aspect as well as the business owner aspect. You know, you bring up a good point. We've written a lot over the years about the concept of independent, but not alone, because it can feel like you're a little bit on an island and where, you know, not just the social aspect of being with others, but the sort of synergistic aspect of where do you get business ideas from and how do you navigate certain things and talking to other like-minded people, the water cooler chat, if you will. I think you bring up a good point that it's about being creative and open to finding community in different places. One of the things I know for sure that always impresses me is that whenever I go to a custodial conference, so Raymond James as custodian or Schwab or Fidelity or Pershing, whoever it is, that's probably the greatest sense of camaraderie and synergy and community I've ever seen. Independent business owners all very willing to share. They're motivated by other success. They don't see it as I'm competing with you. They see it as I love that you're doing what I'm doing. Absolutely. And really from the time that we started looking at Raymond James, the different advisors and different businesses across the country were more than happy to get on the phone with us sometimes multiple times to share what they wish they had known before. Yeah. And what might that have been? That's actually a fair question. What were the kind of things that either you wished you knew before or that some of these folks were saying to you, boy, I wish we knew this before, we would have done it differently? So I think there were two aspects, the organizational aspect of a transition, getting your ducks in a row, talking to people about how many transition specialists they had for how many accounts, how they did it. You could do it electronically or you could do it through paper what their opinions were, what were the pros and cons of each. Then there was the business owner aspect. How much time do you spend on being a business owner? How did you delegate different things? We chose to use a PEO in order to do payroll and to get our health care. So listening to people that had done those kinds of things. So those were very, very helpful. It all seems to make so much sense and we're a little over a year over. And so the questions aren't quite as fresh in my mind, but when you're going through it, you're just sort of soaking up like a sponge. Well, and you don't know what you don't know. I mean, that's exactly. that's probably the biggest feedback we get. And it's incredibly valid. You know, if someone is looking to leave UBS to go to Merrill Lynch they can presume that even if they don't do the most robust due diligence, that things will be mostly the same. The ability, the way they access things, what they'll have access to, how they'll support their business, and they'll figure it out as they go along. But a leap to the independent space is a much bigger leap. And one of the biggest changes is the way you access what you need 
changes. Uh, one of the biggest changes you're saying, you know, how do we get health insurance and where do we get our sense of community from? So talking with someone that knows the right questions to ask. And, you know, I'd like to think that we're a pretty good source of what are the things that we should be asking, but there is absolutely no replacement from hearing it from someone that's walked in your shoes beforehand. And I think hopefully that's one of the things that you found helpful about this podcast itself is that it answered some of the, I don't know what I don't know. Exactly. That's why I listened to all of them. I'm grateful. Thank you. Let me pivot for a second to the future. What are the longer range plans for the business? And that might be a little hard to answer. One, because you're only a year at it. And two, we're in the midst of this crisis. But I'm wondering what your succession plans are. Do you foresee yourself becoming an acquirer, growing an enterprise? What does it look like going forward, if you can Mm -hmm. imagine? Sure. Well, so first of all, I think a lot of it's about establishing our brand today and who we are in the community. And so we're still working very hard at all of that branding and trying to get more visibility in the community, whether that is through technology now and through upgrading our website and webinars and working with outside groups on getting our name out there. But so establishing that, I think, is is the very first thing. And that's so much easier now as an independent. We get to brand us. And for me, because I'm kind of a marketing geek, that was really important to me to be able to brand and market ourselves. And so I'm excited to see how we can build on that. And then going forward we're certainly more likely to be an acquirer than be acquired because my partner is 37 years old. So he's got a very long runway in this business. But for us, it's really, we want like-minded people and like-minded business. We're not about getting bigger just to be bigger. Quality is so important to us and making sure that everybody's on the same page is really, really important to us. Let me ask you one final question. I think a lot of people are acknowledging, advisors or otherwise, how this crisis will have changed them. I know for me personally, there are a lot of things about how I'm living my life now, the quietness of it, the slower pace of it, the working from home, the really being more connected in presence with family that I am loving and I'm hoping to take with me into the into my world long after this crisis passes. So I'm wondering just what do you think, how have you changed? What do you think are the things that you will take with you when we come out of this? I would say, first of all, that fortunately or unfortunately, we aren't really getting a lot of time to pause and think as other people are. Our days are so full and Now I'm cooking and cleaning and doing the wash for three people every night. So I haven't had the ability to contemplate as much as I might have thought I would, but certainly stripping it down to living within the walls of your home brings to the forefront what is really, really important to you, which for me and for most people is their family their health, their happiness, and the connection that we have. And 
the fact that we've had more time for that and hopefully we'll continue to prioritize more time for our family and for what's important to us. I think going forward, we need to be there for our clients as they reprioritize as well, whether it's a prioritization that's been forced upon them because they've lost a job or had to close a business or had to lay off their own employees, or whether it's a chosen change in path because of what they've personally been through during this time and over however many months these changes continue and the new normal that we live on. So I just hope that we all can really be a helpful force for our clients to achieve what they want as they may pivot from what they thought was their life plan. Mm. And I think that's, you know, look, the best advisors will be present, more present to their clients' needs, meeting them where they're at, being good listeners and helping them to navigate whatever the new world looks like, whatever their new world looks like. Absolutely. Lori, this has been an absolute pleasure. It's a gift to get a lens into sort of what it's like one year out, a gift, especially in the midst of crisis where you're admittedly incredibly busy. So I'm really grateful not only for the opportunity, but for your time and willingness to share it and uh, look forward to staying in touch and hearing more great things about the book you've written and the webinars you're going to be doing and all the things you're going to be doing to establish your brand and continue to grow. Thank you so much, Mindy, and stay safe and stay healthy. Same to you. Lori shared the sentiment that we hear from many advisors who are considering change. That is, I don't know what I don't know. I'm grateful to have helped her fill some of those gaps along the way and also grateful for her sharing her perspective on what life is like as an independent one year out. I thank you for listening and I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration may require. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908 879-1002 or these days on my cell at 973-476-8578 or always by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to AdvisorHub.com for sharing this podcast with your viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.